go. Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Hunter Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Bucks is spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow, he's going to make Sports Center with an incredible Jarvis Jones, the game winner got it. Ball game, East Tennessee State's going to leave on another They got him. Fight. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you it doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Friday. A lot going on in ETSU Athletics. We got men's basketball tonight on a Friday night. They're taking on uh, Lipscomb. Nope, Limestone. The other one. Yeah, it's a nail. Who cares? Uh, one three, one's purple. It's the only difference. The only difference. Jay been, Sando's taking I, L's early on. I am 0 for 2 on the last two Fridays, by the way. Yes, correct. Remember, I had uh, the uh, headphone malfunction last week. And then uh, clearly here, I don't know the difference between Lipscomb and Limestone. I thought you were going to go Liberty, another possible L. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Hopefully that, a W that. for ETSU Women's Basketball in a week. Yeah, yes. Tuesday. Oh, boy. This I'm is pulling a, you up from I your mean, you're talking about this work. men's basketball, Limestone, football, right, on Saturday. Then women's Citadel. basketball, right? Women's basketball. Tennessee. Tuesday. And then Wednesday, men's Actual basketball. Actual men's basketball opener. Coaches show Wednesday. Coaches show Wednesday, Friday, women's basketball at Liberty. And then Saturday, Saturday. it's Western Carolina for the men's and UT, UT Martin. Martin for <laughs> basketball. Okay, all me. right. So a lot going on. We're going to be busy. Uh, podcast might get shorter and shorter as we go. But uh, let's talk football first, right? Football, ETSU taking on the Citadel, and last couple of games against these two teams have come down to the wire. ETSU couldn't convert on a fourth down. Actually held a 17-7 lead at halftime in uh, Green Stadium. Forced, if I'm not mistaken, a turnover on the second or third play of the game and then converted on a 22-yard touchdown pass to take a quick 7-0 lead. Last year, uh, Bucks down going into the fourth quarter, able to pick up a couple of scores uh, one uh, offensively, of course, J.J. German, I think, had four field goals in that contest. But ETSU was able to get a, a, a touchdown connection Herring to Kobe Kelly. And then, of course, the INT returned for a touchdown after a field goal from J.J. German really put the Bucks uh, in command. Yeah, Tyree Robinson's second interception of that day, really a landmark moment for him was that 42-yard interception return deep into the ball game, under two minutes to go. Uh, really the anchor that you can look back to from his season and say, my goodness, uh, how incredible that he was able to do this late in the game, affect the game this way, and really defensively be kind of a one-man wrecking crew. And uh, if you were looking for more evidence of why he received the awards he did, um, you didn't need to look any farther after that game. Uh, the Citadel team this year, you know, three wins in a row, and the defense is starting to look a lot better for them. Um, early on, I think there were some an adjustment period, I guess. Uh, there were some moments which I'm sure they'd like to have back under their new defensive coordinator, uh, but things have started to gel, you know, averaging just 17 points per game allowed in the last three. Um, the first games of the year, it was 33 points per game allowed, so they've cut that nearly in half, and you look at their schedule, and you do have to be fair to them, because Towson and Elon, at given times in the year, have been ranked both fringe top 25 teams. Of course, the Georgia Tech win uh, 
their first of the year, and what a big one to get. And then Charleston Southern amongst their first six, the only one you'd deem easy, uh, VMI and Sanford, the other two we didn't mention. So the competition very high in the first half of the year. It's been Western, Furman, and Mercer since. Now, again, I still will say, at least in my opinion, that I think that Mercer defensive performance, probably the best that you've seen in the Southern Conference this year, not only from Citadel, but from any, any team against an opponent, and I think that that will continue to be the case. The Bucks have had some very good ones as well, and their defensive performance against Furman may be number two. Anytime you can shut down Darren Granger in that offense, Devin Wynn and some other weapons that they have, uh, I think you're doing a pretty good job, but 27-10 at Furman for Citadel, that right now is the difference, I think, between them and maybe a VMI or a Sanford. All those teams tied at 3-2 and two in the league. And I didn't ask Brent Thompson this. It was my last question I had jotted down. Didn't end up getting to it. But um, we did talk with Luke Morrow about it on Wednesday. There's got to be a feeling in the back of their heads that they're playing for an absolute ton these last three games. And it's a difficult schedule. You know, you're at ETSU, then you've got Chattanooga and Wofford. So I'm sure they're thinking... The emphasis on this game, with the Bucks being winless in conference, versus going up against two teams that are either in first place or within a half game of first place in the Southern Conference, Wofford and Chattanooga, is absolutely massive. And there's a couple ways to respond to that. Either you come out and play loose and play like you've been playing recently, or you tighten up and you fold under pressure. And I'm sure ETSU would like to see the latter from Citadel. And certainly, we're going to have a close game, as you said, either way. I think it'll be in Austin Herrick agreed uh, when we talk with him in just a little bit, something we taped last night. Probably going to be another one-score game. I think it is going to be a tight ball game. Bucks obviously handcuffed in the first half defensively. It looks like no Jared Folks. Now, he's probably not going to play the entire game, but you do have to play without Nasir Player for the first half. And I got to ask Billy Taylor, like, is there a chance that it could be a slight advantage because after you play a whole first half, you start getting the second half, that's where the defensive line and depth gets worn down, and starters play less and less play. That's why you see – teams that aren't necessarily as good or as deep as other teams start to to get blown out in the fourth quarter right when you look at different things different type games well if Nasir player and ETSU's defense can hold for a first half without him then he's able to play in the second half I think that could be a huge advantage because he could play more snaps he's more fresh it's that another bad thing is if a if, if a player to go down with injury in the first half already a thin uh, linebacking and front three for ETSU, it could spell a very long day, and it may not matter what happens in the second half. And that would be the only scenario with some injuries where I feel like the Bucks could really be behind the eight ball going in the second half, and it may not matter. That being said, I find it interesting how Tony Grantham has been able to kind of transform this defense to multiple looks, um, not afraid to blitz with zero coverage. I mean, just pure we're blitzing six or seven, depending on how many receivers and tight ends you got. And we're bringing one more, and you can block. And just thinking, our our defenders only have to really guard for a second, second and a half, and who can win that battle? And, and I think you know, listening to your conversation with Brett Thompson, is I, I was able to uh, normally I just listen game day and 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 listen to it, but I was able to be in here yesterday while you're recording that, and I thought it was interesting for him to talk about the personnel and and things that we sort of talked about, but we really don't harp on it. The fact that the Citadel, VMI, some of those schools in a lot of sports have to be creative in their recruiting and stuff because they just can't go out and get 350-pound linemen, right? They've got to do the full military. they got to pass the physicals. they got to do the PT. And if they come in that big, the the school, you know, makes them lose weight and, and does things to uh, limit what they can do. So they've taken their athletes and doing different things in different spots, and it's taking a while for that because it's brand-new concepts. 
and the last two or three weeks. And, and I, I agree, some of it's competition, there's no doubt. Some of it's repetitions and all that. But some of it is them just getting more time to learn that system and the Citadel's looking very much uh, better defensively than what we saw earlier in the season. Yeah, I agree. Blake Harrell was the defensive coordinator last year, went to Kennesaw State, took the same position, and Tony Grantham coming in. It is going to take a few games, and you saw that some of the struggles early, but recently you've seen guys step up that some have been mainstays at their respective positions over the last couple of years, and certainly last year in particular. Others didn't really play last year and just a couple of them on the defensive line Joseph Randolph the second he leads the team in sacks more tackles and more sacks than last year already and he did have a very good year last year he's also tied for the team leading tackles for a loss Dalton Owens is someone that coach Thompson brought up with me yesterday when we had that conversation maybe an unheralded unsung hero so far he's a man that didn't play a ton last year at all but now he's tied for third on the team in tackles for a loss and third in sacks and he redshirted his first year so this is his first extensive action and he's really responded then at linebacker I think we all know the name Willie Eubanks the third if you've kept up with the Southern Conference last year he had 80 tackles leading the team already 81 this year and he's stuffing the stat sheet in other ways seven tackles for a loss two sacks two fumble recoveries a fumble uh, forced and then an interception as well and Noah Dawkins was a guy last year that did a lot of good things for the Bulldogs he's gone but Marquise Blount has come in at 6-3-240 I mean this is a huge linebacker this is at the second level you got Randolph and Owens up front then Eubanks and Blount at the second level last year Blount really contributed uh, like eight or nine tackles wasn't on the field a lot but this year tied for the team leading tackles for a loss and second in sacks the one place defensively where you can take advantage of Citadel is in the secondary they lost Aaron Spann the third from last year who was third on the team in tackles and led the team in interceptions Chris Beverly is still back there and he's making a ton of tackles again breaking up the most passes on the team but he does have no interceptions, and no one's really filled Span's shoes because Beverly did these same kind of things last year. Jay Howard once again has two interceptions to lead the team this year, but uh, the team is second to last in the league in pass defense, allowing 227 yards per game. And I'm not sure that that's something that ETSU will look at matchup-wise and say, this is kind of what we want. I think if you're the Bucks, you want a weak front seven because that means you're going to be able to use Quay Holmes, Jacob Sailors. Um, you're going to be able to run between the tackles. You're going to be able to stretch um, to the outside as well towards the boundary and maybe even use that short passing game to take advantage of that front seven. But uh, when you have a secondary that's weaker than the front seven, uh, now it does give the advantage, of course, to Trey Mitchell in the passing game in the sense that they're not having to face a top-end secondary. But will they be able to take advantage? And will they be able to connect with receivers? Mitchell to um, you know, Braxton Richburg, Anthony Spagnoletti. Can you put the passes on target? Can the receivers make the catches? It, it comes down to, in a game like this, because you know that the weakest portion of their defense is the secondary, can the Bucks execute? And that's something they've had trouble with before. You know, if you listen to Matt Wilson on the pregame show, I'm sure he'll use the term good on good, which Always. is... Right. His favorite. It, it, and it's going to be the offensive line, the run game versus the defensive line and linebackers. But I think it's going to be the not get on good that determines the game, to be honest. And Citadel actually got decimated. That, that was a couple years ago. I think it was three years ago. They had a, a cornerback that uh, actually was a fifth-year transfer and went to Miami of Florida. They had another guy that uh, had a look at the NFL. They had two guys one go to a power five and the other one get a look in, at the uh, professional level at the NFL and had some tryouts and stuff. And so they've never really been able to, to recover from those guys not being in there in the secondary. Now, that being said, they're doing some things to take care of the secondary, which if you saw some of the early games with 
uh, Elon, Talzin, all that, able to throw the football around. So, you know, with that multiple look, with things, okay, can we confuse a quarterback? Is it really cover two and then they kind of roll coverage over? It's actually a cover three or cover four. Is it uh, man-to-man? It's a zone. Is it, hey, we're going to show blitz and not blitz? Is it, you know, we're not going to show any blitz and everybody comes forward and then there's no safety? I mean, there's a lot of things they try to do where you line up and try to confuse you because the back end secondary is – I don't know if it's a little bit by design or a little bit by, hey, this is where we are the weakest at, so let's try to do things just to see if somebody can make a play. And for ETSU, in the past game, it's been difficult for them to make plays, so we'll have to see if that is the case. On Citadel side of the ball offensively, I've been really impressed with Brandon Rainey. We talked about it on Wednesday, um, kind of chatted about it all week on different platforms and in a variety of ways but the Bulldogs are 27 points higher in pass efficiency than any other team in the league and Rainey's got nine touchdowns to three interceptions I hate to belabor the stat but no Citadel team has thrown for above 52 percent in a season since 2009 right now throwing at 57 percent and Brandon Rainey Brent Thompson was quick to correct me didn't go from quarter or from fullback to quarterback he went from quarterback to fullback to quarterback uh, when he was at Citadel. He was recruited as a quarterback, then they moved him to fullback. Now he's back at quarterback, and you're seeing why he is someone that wants to be under center and someone that the Bulldogs want under center because he is really setting a new path and a new standard for Citadel at the quarterback position right now, at least in recent history. One thing that the Bucks can take advantage of, and this is why it hurts not having a seer player up front. I know Billy Taylor told you that the Bucks have been kind of going with a four-man rotation up front over the last couple of weeks because they're already thin. So now you're really going to go to three men in the game at all times, it seems, unless there's something that Billy Taylor didn't talk to you about um, going into your guys' conversation about the game Saturday that you'll be able to hear on the pregame show 2 o'clock on the Buccaneer Sports Network. But if you do have a three-man rotation up front and guys are having to play you know, every play on the defensive line, especially against Citadel, that can be rough. But when they do drop back to pass, the Bulldogs have allowed 13 sacks this year in 79 pass attempts. That's a ratio of almost a sack per every six pass attempts. That's four more sacks than they allowed all of last year. And just for comparison purposes this season, Wofford has allowed one sack in 89 attempts. Similar type offense, not the same, but similar type offense doing some triple option things. So getting pressure up front and creating those negative plays and getting Citadel quote-unquote out of system and having them chase the chains is something that you can do. You've seen that already this year with Citadel's offensive line. Well, and I think the especially early because the Citadel lost a couple of games where they gave up points in the last 90 seconds, two minutes of a game, and you just can't run that offense and go there. So – I'm assuming there's some sacks right there that it probably took away. But you get them behind the chains. That's what ETSU did last year. You get them behind the chains. You you get them off schedule, I think is a popular term. But you get them off schedule, and they have to drop back to throw it. Or you know it's a passing down, and you know they're going to throw it. That's where Citadel is not good. Where they're good is where they pound it, pound it, pound it. Oh, by the way, we, we faked a fullback dive. Now we step back and throw one over the top on a poster out. And then, you know, six points. That's really – what uh, Citadel does very well, and a lot of option teams do, when they're on schedule. So, to me, winning first down and or second down and creating a negative play somewhere down the road will help ETSU because it's a four-down game. I mean, 17 of 23 for, on fourth downs for Citadel leads not just uh, uh, the league, but it's second in the nation for efficiency on fourth down. So, you're talking about, you know, that's something ETSU was able to stop twice last year, and after that, Citadel started to punt, and that's a win when you get Citadel on fourth and two or something, thinking, 
hey, we got a punt. And so I think ETSU did a good job with the field position battle last year and and turning them over at midfield a couple times, able to force two turnovers. And Marion Watson did a great job of pinning Citadel back deep, make them go full field. Can ETSU do all that here in Green Stadium? It will be yet to be seen tomorrow. Yeah, and I think the kicking game is somewhere that Citadel has maybe struggled a bit this year, not necessarily punting the ball, but in the field goal game. Senior kicker Jacob Godek already missed three field goals this year. That's one more than last year. And you remember his uh, first season was 6 for 14 in his sophomore year and he really started kicking does have range out to 50 but hasn't been quite as accurate this year offensively we talked about Citadel in the passing game in the running game they'll play kind of a flex bone type scheme the Kevin Joku is the slot back you really have to watch for that's going to um, create a lot of misdirection type things he's averaging 8.3 yards per carry this year Clay Harris is the one in the backfield as the B back quote unquote that's going to get a lot of the carries the majority of them I think he's averaging uh, roughly uh, 12 13 per game but the big hitter has been Njoku um, 25 carries over 200 yards so a lot of misdirection a lot of confusion Citadel is not going to make it easy I don't think on uh, ETSU defensively especially considering they're shorthanded up front as Billy Taylor said and as you just said um, you have to make sure that that first half you don't get boat raced and Citadel can't just pack it in and do what they're comfortable with because that's going to spell trouble yeah I, I think uh, first of all I'm excited to say Njoku uh, I don't know why it's just when it looks like a fun name just yeah. in general but I hope I'm saying that with losses instead of big games running down the field but I, you know the the big thing about these teams is you know they they hit two three yards two three yards two three yards and all of a sudden somebody tries to do something they're not supposed to do tries to do too much right instead of do your job and then all of a sudden that's where the big gainers hit so if your assignment is that I mean you just do that ETSU should be okay but the problem is you're dealing with teenage kids and eventually somebody's going to be like, you know what, if I just do this thing right here, I can make a big play and get a big stop. Next thing you know, somebody's running right by you. So that's how that goes. Bucks are going to have to defend all four downs and guess what we have next. First down, second yeah. down, third down, fourth down. So am I technically defending all four downs? How does that uh, work? Are you on offense and I'm on defense? I don't know how this I works. think that is how it works because I'm asking the questions. I'm coming at you. You have to provide the defense for the point. Yeah, I like make it. it. There we go. All right, I'm going to defend four downs here right after this time. Out to your word, Santa Sidekick. Other bucket here, Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge. New name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Four down. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Four Four down. Four down. Four down. Four down. Four down. This is a basketball edition of four downs, so it probably should have been four quarters. I probably should have made that change. That's right. Okay. We're we're in the crossover season. First down. Mid-major madness says this may be the best men's basketball team in the Steve Forbes era, ranking the Bucks number 11 in their mid-major poll. This is an all-basketball edition, all-buck basketball edition of four downs with their exhibition tonight at 7 o'clock in the Buccaneer Sports Network, 6.30 pregame against Limestone. Is mid-major madness correct? Is this ETSU's best team in the Steve Forbes era? Well, you're, 
if you're saying going into a season, I'm going to say yes. Only time will tell. If the basketball team doesn't advance the NCAA tournament, you could easily say no because he's had a team go to the NCAA tournament. So uh, I think just the reason it's easy to, to, to go that way, and I think it's a good take to have, is this is the first time he hasn't had to turn over like eight guys, nine guys on a roster. You know, six of your top seven scorers are back. A majority of people that played were in the system. Uh, Patrick Good is going to be healthy this year as opposed to last year. They got an, a new guy in that can really slash to the hoop and, and Bonnie Patterson. I think it's going to be interesting to see how he goes. Then, you know, what does Oct- uh, Octavian Corley do as a seven-footer had to sit out? Jeremy Rodriguez was really banged up at the end of the year. He had off-season surgery. How is he going to do? So there's several things that, that point to yes. I think that that's very easy to do. Plus, I think the league, you know, if you just look at who returned who, it's easily far and away the most guys, key players coming back is on that blue and gold roster. So I think it's a good take to have. Second down. Kind of a good transition by you. College Basketball News says these 15 teams could be Cinderella-bound, and I have a problem with a couple of them already. VCU, UNCG, Liberty, Dayton, Bradley, Furman, Harvard, Vermont, Davidson, Utah State, St. Mary's, Missouri State, New Mexico State, Western Kentucky, East Tennessee State. Let me just volunteer this information. I don't think VCU and Dayton are Cinderella's. I don't think they qualify as quote-unquote Cinderella's anymore, personally. Uh, those are the two that I would take off the list. Who are you taking off the list? Harvard, is Tommy Amaker still there? Aren't they on probation? Aren't they on academic probation? Didn't Harvard go on academic probation? Har- Harvard, the- he, Harvard's fine. Tommy's doing great. Tommy is still, Tommy there, is still the there. Tommy is still there. I love watching some Harvard basketball. Who do you think from that list? And I'll give it to you again. VCU, UNCG, Liberty, Dayton, Bradley, Furman, Harvard, Vermont, Davidson, Utah State, St. Mary's, Missouri State, New Mexico State, Western Kentucky, East Tennessee State, would you take off the potential Cinderella list? Uh, I would take the two you said. Number one, if you've been to a Final Four and was in a Final Four, I think back-to-back years VCU was. Um, Now, Butler was in the championship game back-to-back years, but VCU went to -to back-to-back Final Four. So, to me, I think you take them off the list. Dayton plays the same league, A-10. It's tough to say A-10. A-10 is in a Cinderella league. I agree. I I think A-10s are out. Um, Other than that, listening to the list, I'm curious to see what Liberty returns from what they had last season. Uh, Uh, Millions and millions of dollars is what I can Well, no, I know. And, And they actually got, you know, they got beat by Lipscomb. Uh, and it was that was a, a good league back and forth, sort of like Murray State and Belmont last year. It was back and forth, back and forth. Uh, and they split. I think each went in on the visiting team's floor, and then Lipscomb eventually went in on their home floor to go to the tournament uh, against Liberty. So I'll be curious to see if Liberty is going to be able uh, to bounce back, plus Lipscomb a changeover and coaches. But I think the two you take off just because I don't think they're mid-major. You know, and a lot of people I know kind of hammer St. Mary's. I'm like, well, Gonzaga, just because they're in the league, it's easy to say that, but I think St. Mary's would still be class. It's still not a household name. It's still not a team that's made deep runs into the postseason. They still have to get, you know, and play two to three games with Gonzaga every single year. I still think Gonzaga threw the championship game last year. I'm still standing by that. They threw the championship game because <laughs> they knew they were in. They helped the league out. I think the league went to them and said, well, you know, Coach Few, I think, I think you need to let them go. And nobody will back me up on this, but – I don't know how a team can beat a team by 25 or 30 the first two games, lose by 30, and then say they were, you know, there was just better scouting and everything. What in the world could change from two games that you didn't know was going on? Anyways, uh, so I'm going uh, in agreement with you. Those two are out. So do you, should UNCG and Furman be on the list? I should. I take Furman over UNCG at this point, considering what they return. 
I'd actually take UNCG. Really? Okay. Uh, yeah, I'd take UNCG for this simple reason. Uh, Furman, uh, UNCG's really only starter lost was uh, Alonzo Francois, which is a big loss. Francis Alonzo. I yeah, love whatever. Alonzo I, Francois. Why do I keep doing I that? I love it. Every single time. And I hate his. Uh, Dickie's gone, isn't he? Or is he still there? Uh, Dickie's there. Dickie's there, okay. Dickie's there, and Miller's there. So the the one two punch, mm, uh, you know, Galloway that was yeah. started hitting threes, he, he's there. So so I, th- I, I, I think they return more. Rafferty really made that offense run at Furman. And if you're just taking Alonzo versus Rafferty on who was a bigger loss for their team, I still think it's Rafferty. Wow. Uh, and so that – because he just did everything. You know, he was the leading assist man, leading rebounder. He was the leading scorer. I mean, I think he led the team in steals, for goodness sake. So I, I think he led them in four or five categories. And at one time, he was the only player – to have had certain stat line, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but he was the only player to average like 14 points, eight assists, 10 rebounds. There's some do-it-all type thing. Yeah, like it was that, some yeah. ridiculous stat that somebody had to really uh, look up. But I think with Rafferty being gone, and they lost a couple more. They Andrew Brown, the shooter for Furman, could certainly fill it up a little bit. I just think losing those two, I mean, you, you return Jordan Lyons, and, and he's, a, he's a nice player. I don't think he's great. Uh, Clay Mounts. You know, I just he he's no Rafferty. You know, so so I think I would take UNCG over Firm, and I think if you're talking about who do I, I think UNCG and ETSU right now are the two everyone should point to in the league. I think Furman is third, and then Wofford and a few others from there. But I, but I think ETSU and UNCG should have a two horse race. Here's a thing that I'm going to come up with to disqualify teams as Cinderella's. VCU did not make the Final Four back-to-back years, but they did make the Final Four in 2010-11, then made two NCAA third rounds, then three straight second rounds, and a first round in 2016-17. Of course, didn't make it either of the last two years. So what's that, but if 10, you make, 11 wins? If you make seven consecutive NCAA tournaments, or like Dayton, they made four consecutive now, NCAA tournaments, you're out. You're no Cinderella anymore. I'm sorry. Now, if I'm not mistaken, did v- VCU was the only team to win six games that didn't win a national championship because they had to play in a plan. They're the only team in NCAA history to win six games and not win a championship. They had to win seven that year and didn't. Ouch. Throwing that in there. All right. Third down. At CBSSports.com, Matt Norlander every year ranks all 353 teams in Division One from 1 to 353. The Bucks are at number 57. I'll give you 50 through 60 here. Indiana's number 50, then Miami, Marquette, Pittsburgh, Connecticut, USF, Creighton, then the Bucks, Syracuse, Iowa, Wake Forest. Number 57, too high, too low, just right. I think it's, I think it's a pretty good sweet spot right now. Um, I think 57 would be about right. But if you look at... The, whatever index you want to use, generally speaking, you know, you're going to be around the 40s to 70 range. So to start the year right there, the key is can they either end the year at 57 or even higher like Wofford did where they were, I think they were in the 30s uh, with the spectacular season. But um, I think I, it's encouraging to have the Bucks with Indiana, I just want to Miami, take Marquette, a picture Pittsburgh, of that so I can send it to Lando's Land, uh, Owen, because they're ahead of Syracuse. They are, yes, exactly one spot ahead of Syracuse. But considering you have a lot of Power 5 programs, quote-unquote, in that You're, mix from 50 to 60. They have possible. respected you enough to throw you in there with Big Ten and ACC named schools, right? Indiana, I mean, everybody knows Indiana already know anything, and everybody knows Syracuse already know anything about anything. So to have your name right there with them, I think is a positive. Fourth down. Oh, by the way, on that third down, Michigan State's number one, number 353. Any guesses? Bottom team in the nation, uh, according Chicago to Matt State. Norlander. No. 
Oof. I'll give you a hint. A former NBA player, very recognizable name, ah, very recognizable, semi-recognizable name, is their new head coach. NBA player. Probably from, I'd say, the late 90s, early 2000s is his heyday. When you go out and shoot animals with bow and arrows or guns. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I love when you do His these. first name, it could be guy or girl. <laughs> no? No. <laughs> I'm just, you're rapid fire. I'm just uh, um uh, guy or girl first name plus an activity where you shoot things is the last name. Uh, Courtney somebody. Lindsey Hunter. Lindsey Hunter. All right. Yeah. Lindsey Hunter, Mississippi Valley State. Number oh, Mississippi Valley State. That's always a go-to in Fourth every sport. Down. In every state. <laughs> uh, the new three-point line is 16 yeah. inches further back this year from the center of the basket. 22 feet, 1.75 inches away. The Bucks had 274 made threes last year. Will that number be significantly impacted by this change this year? I don't think significantly. I think maybe one or two possible. I still think only one or two. That's incredible. So you have them on two hundred seventy-two. No, 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 no. one or two a game. So oh, okay. I don't know what that gotcha. is. So like thirty threes less. Okay. I, I'm, I don't. I don't know that thirty to forty-five threes is significant. I think you need to be two or three uh, makes a game less. I guess. Uh, so what did that average a game? Do you know? It's 34 games. 34 well, games. 274, 34, so that would be uh, eight. Eight made threes per game. Okay, so if they go like five and a half, I think that would mm. be significant. If it's like 7.2, then no, I don't I don't think it is. I don't think it will. Do you uh, think it will be? The a, short answer, I don't think it do will. Do you think across college basketball it will be significantly noticed, or do you think it's like a first couple of days in the non-conference and then people stop talking about it? Uh, I, I think there are the, – the, the, what hurts are maybe those stretch fours, right? The big men that maybe needed to be right at the line. But I think a lot of guards, you know, just around the Southern Conference, a lot of guards take threes beyond the arc to begin with and would be a, a full foot, foot and a half back, especially like a guy. Now, he's not in the league anymore, but Bubba Parham would be basically NBA range because he needed that extra space to get a shot off. So there's enough guys uh, that practice it. Now, early in the season, I think there'll be a little bit more struggle. And then as the season goes, I think guys will be fine. I think they'll figure out. That especially the guard play in the Southern Conference will be fine. I think maybe like a Kyron Galloway, again, there's a stretch four, who started hit threes towards the end of the year for UNCG. How long does it take him maybe to step back and, and, and knock down a three-point shot? Reverse angle of this point. Do you think that instead of affecting the amount of threes made in a negative way, it affects inside play positively because there's more space that perimeter defenders have to defend since the three-point line is further away. Or am I overthinking it? No, well, it's going to be one or the other. Uh, and, you know, each issue likes to play inside. So early on, my guess is they may see if uh, Rodriguez or Gasson or something like that can hurt them. And if they do, they dive down, and then you get the clean looks. So uh, it's going to open up play, and that's what the NBA wanted. They open up play. So if you're going to double-team, you you pretty much it's hard to recover. You know, you get two extra passes. Will ETSU be able to make an extra pass or two if the post play inside? And if they just decide to go single up on Jerome Rodriguez, will he be able to make him pay? Cowboy up and go play ball. 7 o'clock tonight, Bucks and Limestone, 630 pregame, Buccaneer Sports Network. Austin Herring, got for this time out, standing sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Cake? Beer. 
cake, beer, quality, 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 soon to be continental MVP, cake, cake, a slice of cake, cake, beer, beer, um, yeah. Well, we're going to do things the opposite this week with Austin Herrick. Usually I tell him how he fails right off the top. I'll say how, how I fail and then tell him how he fails and go a bit more, uh, I say, indirect at the hate towards Austin Herrick this week. I fail because I did not make the bumper Jake beer after figuring out that you think you're Jake Gyllenhaal last week. It would have been perfect, and I failed. I'm sorry. You know, I accept the apology. Um, you know, I, I think all the, the people out there who think I look like Jake Gyllenhaal are really, really disappointed. That's undoubtedly true. If some of those people that tweeted about you in 2013, 14, or 15 are listening to this show, I think we may have a few bigger problems than the bumper not saying Jake Beer. I, I agree. I, I think they probably should move on, yes. Uh, let's first talk about your week. Has it been better than last week? Because that was a devastating few days for you being taken off the wall and also having your replacement arrive in Vienna. Um, I'm hoping that you're, sta- you're standing here. You're, uh, you're here with a microphone in the studio doing what you do. You're apparently, from what I understand, still an offensive quality control coach for ETSU. So you have found a way to persevere and get through, which I am happy to see. Yeah, I haven't gotten fired yet. And, you know, after the last, or the last week that was so rough, just had to put your nose to the grindstone and, and just work through it. So... Just put my head down, started working, didn't notice any more pictures being taken off the wall, um, and they didn't replace me again with another quarterback, so, you know, it was uh, it was a good week, um, so, yeah, we, had, we bounced back this week. Well, some may say that you have to bring in more than one quarterback to replace Austin Herrick, the quarterback. Mm, I, don't, I don't know if that's true. Um, I'm sure there, one guy could, could do the job, but... Um, yeah, bounce back week, no doubt. Some would say even half a man could do the job, but I'm not saying that. I'm just saying some would say. Okay. I'm just playing the Fair. other side. Devil's advocate, that's no, all I, I'm saying. I, I, I don't disagree with that side. Uh, I searched Austin Herrick's snowball on Twitter, and I couldn't find it. Um, this is a follow-up from last week as well. You said that you thought that there was going to be a snowball involved with this week's look back on Twitter to Austin Herrick's fandom from many, uh, many, many, many people on Twitter. I could not find Austin Herrick's snowball. Searched it in the Twitter bar. Now, we know it's not a very adaptable Twitter bar. You really do have to, when you search, write the exact thing that you mean. It's not like Google where it'll just kind of generalize and bring up the closest results. It has to be exact. So I may have missed it. Right. Um, I actually did some research myself. Okay. Couldn't find it. Mm. Um, But I'll tell you the story. Okay. I was walking out of high school. Uh, walking out of school my junior year, I believe, and it was a snow day, very rare for uh, Cleveland High School. And I'm walking out of school and get hit right in the face with wow. a snowball. Um, a lot of my friends thought it was funny. It probably was if you weren't me. Um, and then they tweeted about it. So, yeah, got hit with a snowball junior year of high school. Right on target. Really accurate pass. Maybe That's impressive. Maybe the person who hit me should have been playing quarterback instead of me. I was going to say, maybe it's the new quarterback for the Vienna Vikings. <laughs> You never know. Small world, isn't it? Uh, let's go to Twitter again. At Laura underscore Kate 04, June 16th, 2013. I think of him when I eat and sleep. I refer to him as Master of Kingdoms. His name is Austin Herrick. He is my special man. So it is Halloween when we're taping this, Thursday night rather than Friday morning when you're listening to it here on Santa's and the Sidekick. Uh, are you going to or considering that we're on November 1st here when people are listening, did you dress as Master of Kingdoms for Halloween? 
I did not. Um, I can give you a story on that tweet, too. Okay. Um, that was my girlfriend in high school. Oh, well, that's, that's kind of nice. That I thought it was just a stalker like most of these people. Well, she got my phone and tweeted something about her. So I was like, okay, one up, you know? So so I tweeted that. You tweeted that? Yeah, but it was oh. it was all as a joke because she said like some really flattering things about herself. So I was like, okay, shots fired. No, I think I you gotta think respond. about yourself like that. I do think that. I think that's aggressive. I, I don't know that I can agree with that, but uh, the Master of Kingdoms, I thought that was a little funny. You know, just a nice little touch there, a little humor. You know, had to get her back. Uh, quality, but understated, like your quarterback playing. Fair, right? <laughs> that's a compliment, Fair. I think. I'm gonna have to start boosting myself up. <laughs> you're just you're just taking the legs out. You know, I, I, guess. I, th- I think that saying quality but understated is a positive thing. That's fair. That's At least fair. in terms of all the things I say to you in general. That's on the higher side of positive yeah, versus I think, most of the things. Yeah, I think we're getting – yeah, that was be- – I misunderstood that. Okay. that. That was better, yeah. Uh, uh, here's my thought on how Herring Halloween was going to go. I wasn't sure if you were going to dress as the gold statue on the third floor or it was dressing like you. I couldn't figure it out either, <laughs> so I decided just to avoid that, you know. Um, I, I still don't know what I'm going to be. Okay. Even uh, though it's Friday morning when people are listening to this and Halloween's over. Yeah, well, okay. I, I, right here, I, I still don't know. I can't, I can't go back and <laughs> that's, think. That's it was true. a weird night, you know. Yeah, even though it hasn't happened yet, technically, when we're sitting here talking about it, it was a weird night. Yeah, wow. <laughs> my my head's all turned around now. Uh, one other one <laughs> at Noah Toe, October twenty fourth, twenty thirteen. Austin Herrick is the king of CHS. I'm assuming that means Cleveland High School, and you know that you're doing something right when even the gentlemen amongst the group on Twitter are saying that you're the king of CHS. Who said that? Noah Tell. Oh, yeah. That was one of my, my good friends from high school. I thought someone else retweeted it. Yeah. Um, I think that was like we had superlatives that day or something, and I guess he voted for me. So, Did um, you win? Homecoming King. I wasn't Homecoming King. I was Mr. CHS my senior year. But, is there a uh, difference, or is that? Uh, it's just kind of like the end-of-the-year deal. Like Homecoming, I guess, was – I don't know if we even did Homecoming King or Queen. But, uh, yeah, so – I did rule with an iron fist. Master of Kingdom, I, some may say. Yes. That kingdom being Yeah, CHS. I mean, it was a little uh, foreshadowing there, right. you know. Uh, DK Metcalf had two receiving touchdowns this past weekend. He's now just two out of the receiving touchdown lead in the NFL. He's also tied for sixth in the league in yards per catch. Do you still think he is awful, as stated on our first fantasy football-related conversation on this podcast of the year? Yeah, I would certainly say that he's not great. Uh, he sits outside of, uh, I would say, pretty comfortably the top ten receiving seasons of all time so uh so he's not great i'm not going to give him great okay but i'm pretty sure you said he was going to be awful and right now you can't say the guy that's six in the league in yards per catch is just two touchdowns away from leading the league and receiving touchdowns is awful well if you ask the guy who's number one in receiving touchdowns he would say well he's got a lot to improve on i don't think you are master of this kingdom when it comes to dk <laughs> metcalf takes. Let me just i will that. say i've only won one game in fantasy this year one game still yeah so you're one in seven at this point yeah and, and hadn't been close mm, i've wow. just got blown out every week have you stopped carrying is the lineup pretty much set for the year and you're not changing it now the last two weeks i've played guys who had buys mm. so yeah i'm kind of just holding out for next year, maybe a high draft pick or something. You're yeah. focusing on reality football because you are involved in it every day. That's probably a good priority. Yeah, I live in reality. Yes. You know, I like you. I know you like to hold on to uh, the DK <laughs> yeah. Matcap yes, thing, but uh, yeah, I'll focus here in reality. I like to live in a fantasy world. There's no doubt about it. That's fair. Uh, speaking of reality, uh, most frustrating losses from your standpoint this year for ETSU football. I thought it was very interesting that head coach Randy Sanders said. 
not only post-game that his was Stanford. He thought that was the most frustrating loss of the season. There's been a lot of close ones. He also said as such, uh, I wouldn't say he doubled down on it on Monday in the press conference, but uh, when kind of asked about it, he certainly didn't back off the stance. For me, and me and Jay talked about this, so I'm just kind of looking for your opinion. We talked about this, I believe it was on Monday, or it could have been Wednesday. Um, Gosh, the ones that come to mind for me are VMI, and then Chattanooga, uh, certainly one or two in that order, and then maybe Sanford's third or fourth, uh, Furman maybe even ahead of Sanford. Again, that's from an outside looking in standpoint, just coming from more of a obviously uh, semi-involved, but more fan standpoint as we're working around the program. Uh, For you, try and break the tie here. I I think Sanders can probably hold two votes in this conversation. Uh, Me and Jay kind of agreed that it would be Chattanooga VMI in one order or another. Coach Sanders thinks it's Sanford. What say you? Uh, I think that Samford and Chattanooga are kind of in a class of their own in terms of disappointment. Mm. You know, coming off of a bye week, that Chattanooga game could have been huge in terms of momentum um, and turning in, in a different direction. Um, and then, you know, to follow it up with Samford, kind of how that played out, that was so frustrating. So I would put those two as one and two, whichever order you'd like to put them in, um, and then kind of lump the VMI, uh, Furman, uh losses in there together yeah and then I guess Wofford too just kind of the way we came out and played it was that was frustrating so for different reasons you could say kind of any of them depending on how you look at it and that was what me and Jay were talking about was the angle at which you look at it and the sphere from which you're coming at it right like if you think that you want to look at a game and say well we had so many chances and we were handed so many opportunities and you look at what Chattanooga did missing all those kicks. And, yeah. and that was, I think, in that sense, frustrating. Now, Coach Sanders was saying the reason he thought that the Sanford game was most frustrating was because there were opportunities to really take control of the game. What I took from that was if you just make the semi-basic plays, and probably on a dry day, not semi-basic, 100% basic, catch a pitch, uh, throw a little six-yard crossing route you know, at a guy's stomach instead of behind him by a yard or so, uh, catch a snap that's to the left of you, or make a snap that's perfect. You know, Either way, however you want to look at that snap, I have not gone back and looked at it on replay uh, in real time on that final drive when ETSU was going down to try and tie, and it was just torrentially raining and the wind was kicking up. Um, looked like a catchable snap, but again, when it's raining as hard as it has been, you, know, you do have to be perhaps a little bit more inch-perfect on everything uh, than, than usual. Um, so I guess depending on how you look at it, it could be any of them. Why was Stanford so frustrating in your eyes? I think uh, exactly the reason Coach said. There there were so many chances in that game, I felt like, for us just to kind of take control. Um, it felt like at times, you know, that team, I didn't know how, how invested Stanford was in the game, and mm. I thought, hey, we can really take advantage of this, and we just got to go out there and want it. At some point, it comes down to which team wants it more and is willing to go out there and um, you know, put it on the line for the game. And uh, it just felt like neither team really was going to do that on that particular day. There was plays to be made, and no one made them um, on either side of the ball, really, um, for both teams. And, you know, in games like that, you you just got to find a way. And when we weren't able to find a way, that was uh, pretty frustrating, kind of like the season's been in general. So um, I think the guys are um, – you know, learning from these losses, learning from these experiences. And uh, I know I keep saying that, but eventually it will pay off. I mean, it was the same thing. I felt like a broken record the first three years of the program. Like, eventually this is going to pay off. 
Um, and it's tough to go through it. No one likes to lose. No one likes to put in all the effort um, the players and the coaches do and then go out there and lose. And the fans don't like to watch a losing team. Um, but good days are still ahead. I mean, you look at our, our roster, most of the, the best players at each position group are freshmen or sophomores. Right. So there are certainly better days ahead, and we're gaining valuable experience. Um, it's just frustrating, I know, for those seniors who have put so much into this program that up to this point, this is kind of how the seasons went. What are your thoughts on Tyler Rydell entering for a series, then removed, and Coach Justified it just as saying, small hands, small guy, wet ball, haven't had a chance to practice in the rain, obviously, because there's been no rain, it seems like, at all for the last two, two and a half months. And, of course, then the after the game, we've gotten like three days of rain. Great yeah. timing. Th- thanks a lot, weather gods. But um, I think people were excited, and then you only get the series, and it's kind of a afterthought after the game that he was even in the contest. But to see him appear was good. I think some may be looking at that situation and saying, um, well, why not leave him in a little bit more time? And I thought the reasoning for Coach Sanders made sense. Um, for you, and, and I think – when I was thinking about it post game, the thought may have been it's hard for guys to get in a rhythm with one drive, right? And then you're maybe breaking up Trey's rhythm. Though Trey then responded and came out and was even better. So then my instant thought was maybe he was trying to light a fire under Trey. A lot of things bouncing around in my mind in that situation. Right. Yeah. No. That's that's coach's call, and uh, that was that was something that um, he felt like doing. And I, I do think it lit a fire under Trey. Sometimes um, when quote unquote the worst thing that can happen to you happens as a quarterback you speaking from experience early. yeah yeah that's uh when that happens it can kind of take the stress off you and you're like okay you know that happened I'm still okay um and then you can go out there and play more free um I don't know if that had anything to do with coach's decision but um I do think Trey turned it around a little bit after that um but yeah I, I know if I'm Tyler he probably is wanting to know uh could I play another series or two? But um, we'll see. Tyler's a young player. He's still got a lot of time left here. Um, and, you know, the people will get to see the mayor at some point. And Coach Sanders did say he wanted to use Tyler more in that game and says he expects him to use him more going forward. I'm not going to hammer you to tell us exactly how much that'll be. We'll just wait and see. I did look at the stats from last year to this year quarterback-wise. This just popped into my head on Monday on the show and kind of just offhandedly said it to Jay. I think it was in the first segment, maybe second segment. And it went back to, I think, the first or second time you were on the podcast this year. Uh, we were BSing about something, I'm sure. And you made sure to remind me that your touchdown-interception ratio was negative last year. Right. And I looked back at those stats after that because I didn't really believe it because it felt like you made so many plays that there was no way possible at all in any universe that you could have done any wrong that year that's what it felt like and so I you know I didn't look at the stats much because it was like here's what I know we had six wins by 16 combined points and who's the guy that made a lot of those plays Austin Herrick you know I, I didn't focus on the stats last year because when you're winning you don't right right there's no reason to right um but that made me remember some of your stats from last year when we're talking about Trey Mitchell and I made the comparison stat wise from you to Trey last year to this year and Shockingly similar. Uh, Austin Herrick from 2018. 118.6 efficiency, 59.1% completion percentage, six touchdowns, eight interceptions, 166 yards per game. Trey Mitchell, efficiency, 116.7. 57.6 completion percentage, eight touchdowns of five interceptions, 166 yards per game. Exact same amount of yards per game 
interceptions less, touchdowns more. Granted, three of those were against shorter, so you, you even that out. And regardless, right alongside really what you did, uh, completion percentage and efficiency maybe a tick or two below. And so it brought a couple of things into my mind. Firstly, and we talked about this last week, I said that if you talk to Randy Sanders, he's probably going to say, look, you have to have a quarterback to make some plays and some big moments. He has flat out said that in a veiled type way on the coaches show to me uh, in press conferences, post game, things such as that, not blaming Trey, just saying that a lot of the best teams that he's been on have had very, very good quarterbacks. Um, So I stand by that statement, but you also look at the stats and you say, well, those are too close to ignore. Right. And so I'm having a little bit of trouble sorting it out. Is it, that the two ticks in efficiency and completion percentage, maybe those happen to be the biggest plays of the year. Is ETSU just a play or two away? It was my other thought. And looking at these stats, you'd have to say at the quarterback position, it appears yes. Um, it was, it's really funny you bring that up because I did the same thing on Monday and showed it to Coach. Um, and I guess he just got that information from you. Um, and did you did you type that up? Because there was a spelling error no, on there. No. You know, I, I had to be critical because we're, we're putting the stats together. Well, no, I, I told Jay he may have typed it up. Yeah, and he, God said, knows he, he spelled all through, through eight games. T H R E W. Okay, come on, come <laughs> well, on. Maybe we, that's a quarterback pun. We gotta be better. Yeah, <laughs> I get it now. Yeah. There you go. Showbiz. Think outside the box. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but yeah, I, I saw those stats. I actually talked to Trey about it. Um, I think he's got a bad rap for this season. Um, it's tough to play quarterback when you know you don't exactly have um, superstar talent around you. Um, quarterbacks, I saw this a few weeks ago. There's a really good quote about quarterback playing in the NFL. There's probably 50 guys in the world who could play uh, quarterback in the NFL as a starter and play very well. Even less that could play at a high level and consistently keep that job. Well, I would say there's 50. There's, You're saying 50, I, yeah, okay. Let me finish my take. Okay, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> no, anyway, so there's 50, right? Um, and there's probably three to five that transcend um, situation. What I mean by that is that you could plug them in any system and they'd be good. There's about 50 who could be a solid starter on any team based on the situation. So they could do really well if it's a good situation. So if you're in New England, it's pretty hard to be a bad quarterback in New England. Okay, Now, let's say you're in Cleveland. Okay, That's pretty tough to be a good quarterback. So quarterback, for the most part, unless you're a transcendent talent, is based upon your situation. Right now, I don't feel like Trey's in a great situation with in terms of talent around him, and I'm sure other players feel the same about their situation that they're in. Um, it's tough. I mean... We're still a startup program. We still have quite a few guys on the roster that were on the first team in 2015. Right. So um, it is tough, and I firsthand know that. I was telling someone in 2015 we had a freshman quarterback with a majority freshman offense. Um, a lot of us were walk-ons. Um, not exactly the best situation to groom a quarterback. Um, and so, you know, the, the stats – are eerily similar. Um, eerily? Yes. That is the it, word. And it, it's very weird because um, I may have got some undue praise for how I played last year. Um, now I, you get all the undue blame on the show, though, so it's yeah, evening now. Yeah, throw, throw it on. <laughs> but I do think um, I had been through kind of all these trials and tribulations that we're going through right now uh, the previous three years. I had so many close games that we lost. Now, 
towards the end of it, I started to get really, really comfortable in those situations and kind of look forward to those situations at the end of a game. Um, it, it takes experience to get to that point. Um, you know, in most sports, let's say basketball and baseball, you can play pickup or you play travel baseball year-round. Um, so that is, um, you know, plenty of practice to play that sport. Whereas football, you don't get to play stuff in the summer. You, you just get to play seven on seven, but you don't get to put on the pads and play 11 on 11. So um, experience is such a big deal in football. And to make those plays in those moments, you gotta you got to have to be there before, um, like a lot of the guys on the team were. Um, and, you know, I, I would say that probably my career, I, stat-wise, doesn't look great, but I feel like I brought a little bit more to the table than just what you see in the numbers. Maybe um, saying something to the guys in the huddle. Uh, maybe making a play with my legs when the defense didn't think I could run. Um, and that's where the stats kind of change a little bit, which is weird because I'm definitely not a dual threat. Um, coming but, out of high school you were. <laughs> coming out of high school. But, yeah, it, it is interesting. Um, and, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But I think uh, I think maybe if people see that, it would be like, okay, maybe Trey isn't so bad. So that was going to be my next question. I, I had a feeling how you were going to answer it, but maybe it's a combination of things. What is the difference between Austin Herrick last year and Trey Mitchell this year? Is it a combination of experience and just making plays with your legs? Is it one or the other? Um, I think more of the literal translation is what stat heads and maybe fans will look at and say, well, Austin, you can point to three or four different times at least. I think I said it was more like seven or eight over the season where he didn't use his arm. He took off bowled a guy over at the goal line at a third and long he would run for 41 yards or whatever it was but I know that the more hypothetical and non-literal answer is that experience that unquantifiable thing and speaking of unquantifiable like you're talking about things that don't show up in box scores not only for you maybe saying something to the guys in the huddle but your presence at commanding the huddle and having guys really pay attention listen and respect what you're saying which is not something that you're often going to find in a freshman yeah, um, I, I would say it's kind of the unquantifiable stuff. Trey's a, Trey's a really smart guy um, and probably grasped the playbook better than I did at that point last year when I took over. Um, a lot of the time, um, the at least the first three or four games, you know, I, I was still learning the offense. So um, maybe there was guys open. I just was like, hey, I – I got to run, you know, and, and I could, I could kind of feel that just because I played so much. Um, but yeah, I, I think. So maybe your experience leading to the more literal with the legs. Right. Yeah. It was, uh, I think it's a combination of things, but, um, it, it's tough to expect so much out of a quarterback this early. It, it's, it's been a weird year, no doubt. Um, but yeah, I mean, the stats are eerily similar and, I think Trey has, has played okay. There's certainly things that he could do better, but there's certainly things he could do worse. Um, so we'll see how the rest of the season unfolds. But, but yeah, that's a really, really interesting point. And the snap reaction whenever you've got an offense that's struggling and a team that's not winning is playing the quarterback. Yeah, and the reverse of that is when you have a team that's winning, um, you know, the quarterback gets the praise. And, you know, maybe it's lucky a little you. bit of that. <laughs> lucky me, yeah, no doubt. I think that's all I got. I was going to ask you a question about Citadel's defensive scheme, but that sounds just a little bit too formal for this type of conversation. That's fair. Whatever. 
Appreciate you do whatever. It. Good luck this weekend. Homecoming, Austin Herrick, offensive quality control coach for ETSU. He will be at the stadium. That's enough of a reason to go, right? At least you Twitter fans think so. Get out there for November 2nd's game. 2 p.m. pregame, 3.30 is kick as the Bucks take on the Bulldogs. Aside from Austin Herrick, there will be a game, too. The Bucks looking for their first conference win. One in four and one score games, and... Let's see. I think that four of the five conference losses are those one-score games. And the last two years against the Citadel have been one-score games. So you know at the very least you're going to get a competitive contest. And certainly that first win is not far off. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Talk to you next week. And we'll talk to you on the other side of this break on Sandos and the Sidekick with Bold ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandos live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. On the Sports Monster. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model system when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in? I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA job. Bold predictions. All right, I'm kicking myself for two reasons. One, I should have documented that Roger Goodell called Kraft and told him to kick Gordon off the team, so that way I was correct again. Number two, I actually talked to Robert Harper Wednesday and told him that Georgia Southern would go into Boone and win because the last couple times they played a big game, Georgia Southern has beaten them. And when it's 24-7, he actually sent me, did you do that for bold predictions? And I'm like, no, because I'm an idiot, because I didn't think about it to do it on Wednesday and say, hey, I've got one for Thursday because I, I would have – pick that and I wouldn't even have blinked an eye and they were 15 and a half point underdogs going into that and they've been the spoiler of the last two seasons for App State. And that's the unfortunate part because I was watching it last night and I thought the exact same thing but considering we do do bowl predictions on Friday there's yeah, no technical I mean, way to document and there's always, a technical way to document I always it. defer to you so it would have been your bowl prediction because we can't ever have the same bowl prediction so I would have said, Jay, I'm ahead. I have four correct bowl predictions. You have two this year. Go ahead. You would have taken it, and then I would have been bitter because I was going to take it, and then mm. you would have been happy because you did take it. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. But I did. I, that was that was one of those, and I. When hypothetical was, scenarios uh, out the window now. I know it. All Gosh. right. And you really could use these bowl predictions because okay. once again, you only have two correct. You're two of twenty-one. Okay. I am, I believe, four of twenty or four of nineteen or something like that. Mm-hmm. Four and 19, not four of 19. That'd be a pretty good percentage. Yeah, four right, great. 19 wrong, and you're at like two right, 21 wrong. Go ahead. All right, uh, starting with ETSU, the Bucks have struggled in the turnover game. They desperately need turnovers to flip the field. I think I, – well, I don't think. I am going – ETSU is going to be plus two in the turnover margin uh, this weekend, which last year would have been laughable that that would even be a uh, scenario because ETSU is so good and in the plus category. Right now, minus four on the season – 
really struggling. So I think ETSU is going to be plus two in the turnover category at the end of the game. By the way, it's supposed to be like 50 degrees at game time for that contest. So make sure that you are bundled up if uh, you have not noticed Jay Sandoz and those listening, but specifically you, Jay Sandoz, because I know the weather can just kind of fly over your head, literally and figuratively. It is getting colder, so make sure you've got all of your necessary preparations for being outside, for tailgating at homecoming and for the entire game, because come about 6.30, 7 o'clock when that game is wrapping up, I'm thinking it's going to be kind of nippy in the air. Uh, I am actually going to forego ETSU football prediction this year and go to ETSU women's basketball on Tuesday, so I'm getting one on the books early, right? We're not going to know until Wednesday when we do this show. But right, so we can't, we can't do it on Thursday, but we can do it for the following Tuesday. Is that what you're saying? I don't know what you're... All right, I, go ahead. That's making my head spin. I don't know what how many days, weeks we're talking about right now. But anyway, point being, ETSU is going to score 65 points or more against the University of Tennessee in front of a packed house at Freedom Hall on Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock. It's Vols and Bucks in the season opener for both teams. And if you don't think that's bold, I just want to draw your attention to the amount of points ETSU has scored the last few years when they played in uh, Knoxville last year. 61 points is what ETSU was able to put on the board. The year before that, just 49. Remember, that was the year that Tiana Tartar got elbowed in the face and basically was out for, if it wasn't the majority of the game, it was all of the game. Uh, 58 points when the two teams played in the Dome back in 2016. And then the year before that, 49 points. So averaging right around 55, 10 more than that, 65 points or more for ETSU women's basketball. I'm going to stick in the Southern Conference football, and I'm going to go the wise guys think that the over-under in the Furman-Chattanooga game is only going to be about 47.5. I'm going to say they will combine for 63 or more points. 63 or more. 63. Very so, precise. So I, I'm just going, you know, nine touchdowns is 63. And I'm not, I don't want to predict touchdowns because I think Victor Olmo is not a sure thing at extra exactly, points. So exactly. Exactly. maybe. <laughs> so I'm going 63 or more points uh, in that contest. Both teams uh, will be able to do whatever they want offensively. I've also got a Southern Conference football prediction. Wofford does not allow a sack to Clemson. That's a good – that's a great bold one. I like that. I am – on the Clemson not making the college football playoff train. We remember that so, for a long-term but, 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 but you will not go for the upset. It's a 46-and-a-half-point spread. Did you see cakes. that? 46-and-a-half. And also, by the way, booty there's cakes. no way that Clemson is going to win by 46 or more. In I agree. Game. There's no chance because they're I not going to have enough possession. I, I've already seen enough of the Clemson people who live in South Carolina. Well, they lost South Carolina State. Well, they lost South Carolina State. And agreed. They lost South why are they even State. making the points? You shouldn't have to provide evidence as to why Clemson's going to be Wofford. That no, tells no, no, me no. They, they, that tells me they were worried. actually saying that if say say uh, Saban, <laughs> the other one, Saban. the other guy, oh. Sweeney, yeah, if he wanted to, it'd be eighty to nothing. And the argument I had with a couple of ETSU guys, by the way, uh, that are South Carolina natives, was, well, you clearly haven't seen Wofford do whatever. Yeah, and, and I do agree that if Alabama and Clemson wanted to beat teams as badly as they could, they would. Yeah, I don't think that it would have been eighty, even if he wanted to. No, that was my argument. Because there's no way to really prove that. No way, unless it's like uh, seven three at halftime, and I can send some messages. Uh, the last one you're going to love. You're absolutely going to do a cartwheel. No, you're not going there, are you? Monmouth oh. will beat Kennesaw State. Okay, well, that was nice. I think you're going to go Gophers over Penn State. No. <laughs> you're not giving that any love. No, over Ken- okay. but I do, I do have a uh, historical fun fact that oh. I will read in the pregame about the contribution that Minnesota was able to add to the rest of the country. 
it, there's more than one thing they've done for the rest of the country. Well, this, this is the only one I think for sports related. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Now in Minnesota, there probably is only one thing they've done okay. for the country uh, in sports. Going back to 1893 too. So go ahead. Wow. That's right. all I'm going to tease. It's been 127. That's years all I'm going to tease with. I, Minnesota in the pregame. In the pregame, you and I will. I'll probably have you open your mic to respond to this uh, historical fact too. I'll remember that. Uh, this one could be over within the next hour or so. Uh, we're taping this like. Friday at 11.30, and it may the news may already have come down. I'm not sure. I think Patrick Mahomes is going to play and throw for 300 yards against the Vikings. Play and play. Play. And play out. Show out, play. if you will. Play and show out. So, it may be done already. I have no idea. I haven't looked at my phone while we're doing the show, so I could already be uh, 0 for 1, which would be very devastating. But the Vikings defense pass-wise can be had. The... Kansas City passing attack with Patrick Mahomes at 60% or 100%. No update right now. No, no update. update right now. Usually you get those injury reports at like, you know, 11, 12 o'clock, which is right about where we're at right now. So it could be coming down soon. Um, if he does play, when he plays, I should say, 300 yards or more against the Vikings, and that probably spells trouble for Kirk Cousins and company. And that's my bold prediction. Bold predictions. That'll do it. We'll uh, tell you what I got right, what Mike got wrong on Monday. ETSU basketball tonight, 6.30 airtime, 7 o'clock tip. It is Limestone ETSU. Don't forget, Saturday, ETSU versus Citadel, 2 o'clock pregame, 3.30 kick. We'll be back Monday to recap not just men's basketball but also football, and we'll preview the women's basketball game versus Tennessee as well. All that more next week. Sanderson sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. See ya.